Welcome. You are listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church in Granite Falls, North Carolina. We invite you to join us online or in person for one of our services. For more information about our church, please visit day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life. The image uh, on the screen, uh, Brandy uh, McGride came up with that for this uh, standalone message. We're not doing a series or anything. I, I don't know if um, most of you probably noticed this, but Brandy's really creative about stuff. I'm going to make her feel bad because she's sitting here while I talk about her. But, uh, you know, all the uh, paintings, things we see uh, out in the uh, <clears throat> lobby and a lot of the other things she puts together for us, PowerPoint uh, graphics and images and uh, and things like that. So she sent me this. I want to know how it would work for today uh, for this marriage uh, counseling message, what I've, uh, what I've called it. And as I looked at that, I, I almost, you know, started to come in and say, guys, if you'll look at that picture and you see those two hands joined together, wrapped around a Bible, that's all you need to know. Go home. <laughs> because if a husband and wife will wrap their lives around God's Word and allow that to direct their path, then that will uh, solidify, you know, for them greatly, uh, I think, having a successful uh, marriage, if that's what they will, uh, what they'll do. Uh, today's a little bit different because I'm going to bring up several scriptures before you. I, I told you earlier I'm pretty much going to do what I, I do with a couple before I marry them, some uh, premarital counseling. So I'll probably sit down maybe a little bit more than uh, often. Uh, but we're going to uh, just kind of jump into it and look at what the Bible has to say. And to start with, uh, we're going to look at the beginnings of marriage. And to look at the beginnings of marriage, you kind of go back to the book of beginnings and, uh, and focus on some things that are said in the uh, in the book of Genesis. There's some implications in the creation story that uh, maybe you have to look at and think about for a moment, but I think they're really strong implications that can help uh, in a marriage. Uh, and, and so that's what we're going to look at, some of these implications. The first implication that's mentioned would be talking about loneliness, because the, the Bible said the Lord God said it's not good that man should be alone. I, I will make a helper fit for him. And I, I think most of us understand that we wouldn't function very well if we were uh, alone all by ourselves. Uh, and uh, not to say that everyone has to marry. I, I honestly think maybe some people are called not to do that. Uh, but I think a lot of us would have a very hard time if we never ever had any interaction with a human being or someone to help support us. Uh, most of you maybe know this from seeing my Facebook, but this past Thursday, Becky and I celebrated 38 years uh, of marriage. And, uh, you know, I, someone, people kept asking me, well, what are you doing? Like, are you going on a cruise or, you know, some big thing like that? Well, this part in our life right now, my mom uh, living with us and being 95, we're not kind of free to do some things like that. But still, I thought what I chose to do, I hope was special uh, to her. Uh, it was special to me. I put her on the back of a motorcycle. I like riding my motorcycle. But uh, we uh, we rode over to Wills County. I did not tell her where we were going. And we rode over to Wills County, and I pulled up in the parking lot of the church, her home church, uh, and became my home church after I started dating her. And that's the church where we were uh, married at. And uh, I took her by the hand, and we walked to the front door of the church. And I, and I 
looked at her and I hugged her and, and I told her the, the first, the most important thing that I ever did in my life was trust Jesus as my Savior. The second best thing I ever did in my life was ask her to marry me. And, uh, and I mean that uh, with all uh, of my heart because I personally would not function very well, uh, I think, without her. Uh, I needed her. Uh, and maybe God looked down at all of us men and, and said, I don't think you guys would do too good without a helper. Uh, you know, not just looking at Adam, but maybe all uh, of us. And ladies, the word helper, by the way, is not a detrimental uh, term because the same word uh, that's used there in the Hebrews used later. Later on in Genesis, talking about God being our helper. Uh, so it's not a derogatory term whatsoever. But, you know, we, we, we need somebody. Most of us, I think, uh, need someone uh, but because of that uh, loneliness. Second implication that we can find back in the creation story, uh, I've called felt needs. Uh, because God, in the order of creation, could have chose to do things any way that he wanted to. Uh, he could have made Eve first if he wanted to, and then Adam. Uh, or he he could have made Adam and then turned around and said, poof, you know, let there be Eve. And there would have been Eve. But that's not what he did. Instead, he made Adam. And then we find out he created all these animals. He brought these animals out for Adam to name before he ever brought Eve. Look, look what the Bible said there. So out of the ground, uh, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was its name. And the man gave names to all livestock and to the birds of heavens and to every beast of the field. Uh, but for Adam, there was not found a helper fit for him. I, I really believe that God did it in the order that he did, wanting Adam to develop a felt need in his life. Because unless Adam was pretty dense, and some of us guys can be, after he had named those animals for a little while, well, there's a, you know, there's a, there's a male deer and there's a female deer, there's a male giraffe and a female giraffe, elephant, da 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 da, so forth. I, I think before long, Adam would have started thinking, mm, where's mine at? So it would have maybe put a felt need in his heart, a felt need in his life for that helper that God was preparing for him. Another implication in, in Genesis uh, is, is this, uh, priorities. Um, and also I think this has to do with the way God ordered things, with the way the creation story takes place. In Genesis 2 verse 7, it said, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living creature. So the God of all the universe makes Adam, and then he breathes into Adam, and Adam's heart begins to beat. Adam takes his first breath, his eyes opens, and the first face-to-face -face encounter that Adam has is with who? God. Very first face-to-face -face encounter was God. Later on, as he created Eve. The Bible tells us the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man. And while he slept, took one of his ribs and closed up his place with flesh. And the rib that the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into a woman and brought her to the man. So Adam's over here asleep. He's not conscious. So the first face-to-face -face encounter that Eve has when her heart begins to beat and she breathes her first breath and she opens her eyes, her first face-to-face -face encounter is with who? God. And the implication there for us very well may be this. 
that we need to put God first in our lives. No matter how much you love your spouse, in order for that marriage relationship to be what it really should be, you need to put God first. You don't worship your spouse, you worship God. You put God in the place that he needs to be in your life. You love God first, and then next to that, you love your spouse. And if you'll keep that order of things and that priority, it will guard and protect and help a lot of situations and scenarios in your life. If both of you will remember, priority-wise, God needs to be first. Then it's you and your spouse. Then it's your your children. Keep things in that order, and that will, will, will help a lot when it comes to these priorities. And then there's this thing in the creation story that we call a one flesh concept. The Bible said, the, then the man said, this is when, uh, after God made Eve and brought her to, to Adam. Then the man said, this at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. I've told this before, I think maybe a few years ago, but when I was in Bible college, uh, one of my professors, when he was teaching through this text, uh, he said that when God brought Eve to Adam, uh, the first words out of Adam's mouth was hot diggity. And he said he's pretty sure that's in the Hebrew somewhere, uh, if you were to look that up. Uh, but what he actually did say uh, is that this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. There's a play on words that happens there in the Hebrew because the, the, the word that's used for man is a Hebrew word ish, I-S-H. And the word for woman is isha, and that's I-S-H-A. And, and I believe maybe the Holy Spirit was implying the close connection that there should be between a husband and a wife, even by those terms being so close to each other. And then the Bible says this, therefore man shall leave his father and mother, and hold fast to his wife. couple of concepts there. First of all, there's this leaving concept. When, when a couple marries, and you know, most of you have been married long enough, that's no new news to you, and some of you have been married fairly recently. You had to hear me tell you this just a few weeks ago. Uh, but when you marry, sometimes it can be a challenge, especially for a younger couple when they first marry. That leaving aspect can be hard many times because you grew up in that home, and, and you love your parents and, and things such as that. But at the point in time when you marry, you have to realize... You and your spouse, that man and wife, you become the most important family unit in that moment. It's not that you don't love your parents anymore, and I'm not telling you you don't ever take their advice, but sometimes in a loving way you have to say, hey, we're our own family now. You know, we, we kind of have to run things uh, our, ourselves to a certain degree. But there's this leaving aspect that needs to take place. And, and the King James, instead of saying hold fast to his wife, used the word cleave. So I used to say there's a, a cleaving aspect. The, the word that's translated there actually means to be glued to. So it's pretty a good translation here in the English Standard Version when it says hold fast to his wife. That, that's the mentality that you ought to have when you're married. Typically, normally you don't glue things together just to turn around and pop them apart. And, and, and I understand that because of circumstances and, and, and tragedies and different things that can happen in, in relationships, sometimes a marriage maybe can't make it and can't survive. And, and, and I, 
you know, the Bible, I'm not here to talk about divorce today. We're talking today about putting people together. But some people look at divorce as though all divorce or remarriage is, is a sin. I don't believe the Bible teaches that. Jesus even had an exclusion clause there himself saying, you know, except be for, you know, adultery or sexual immorality uh, is what he's talking about. But I am telling this, when you marry, you need to enter into it, not with the idea of, well, if it doesn't work out, we can always divorce. You need to enter into that marriage with the idea of you've been glued together. You've been brought together as one flesh. Two people that God has put together. If you enter into it frivolously saying, well, if it don't work out, we can always get a divorce. Then when, when bumps in the road happen and you will have bumps in the road, it'll be pretty easy just to run the other way. But if you enter into it with a mentality of come this and high water, <laughs> come whatever it might be, we've been put together by God as one flesh. And if you'll remind yourself you've been put together as one flesh, that will even revolutionize the way you treat each other. Because if you're one flesh, if you hurt your spouse, guess what you've also done? You've hurt yourself. You might think your little toe's not that significant until you're walking through your house in the dark and you stump it and you realize, oh, that's part of my body. <laughs> And when you are married, a husband and wife brought together, God views you as one flesh, and you need to treat each other as though you're treating yourself in that way because if you, if you harm that other person, in essence, you're also hurting yourself. And we'll actually see that pop up again in, in the New Testament. And then it says, and the man and his wife were both naked and, and they were not uh, ashamed. I hope no one just had the reaction that he said the word naked in church. Because all I did was read the Bible. Did you see that? Some, somehow we've allowed, maybe it's because of our culture or the way Hollywood or whatever television has portrayed intimacy, we, we automatically put some kind of connotation upon it like there's something wrong with it. But there's not anything wrong with it. The man and his wife were both naked and they felt no shame, which launches me into the second topic that we need to talk about today in marriage counseling, and, and that is the importance of intimacy. The importance of intimacy. Um, I cover this with every couple that I've ever married. And sometimes it, it depends maybe on how young they are. I've actually had some young couples that uh, maybe grew up, you know, through the youth group and everything else with me being their pastor. And I get to this topic and I can see they, they look like a, a, you know, a deer in the headlights type of look. Like, I can't believe he's talking about this. But the Bible talks about it. And I'm afraid a great deal of us having a misconception and wrong practices in our culture today might have to do with the church not ever talking about this. Because this is part of the Word of God. And if it's part of the Word of God, it ought to be dealt with and talked about like anything else. And yet sometimes we really shy away from it as though there's something wrong with it. 
I, I can remember being at another church uh, one time years ago, and we were kind of dealing with a marriage uh, uh, topic. And matter of fact, it was a series. And, and I can remember in that particular church, maybe it was the first time this particular lady had ever heard me say the word sex. And I said it, and, and I was saying it pretty often because of the verses we were looking at. And, and I began to notice every time I said it, it was almost like there's this, this reaction you know, t- taking place, and and, and I'm and I'm thinking that, but but the Bible talks about it. So I'm going to read these verses, and then I'm going to give a couple of background things, and then we're going to break these verses down uh, just for a moment. And I concern the matters about which you wrote, and and what Paul is saying is this: Paul's writing uh, to people in a heathen city, Corinth, who become Christians. And since they live in a heathen city, uh, the worship of idols was prevalent there. They even had temples uh, erected to idols where they had prostitutes in those temples helping out with the heathen worship. So, you know, put that in your pipe and smoke it as a weird religious cult. And some of them are becoming Christians and their spouse has not been saved and, and they're asking questions like, well, you know, should we divorce our spouse or should we marry and things like that. So Paul's right in, in response to their questions. And he said it's good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman, but because of the temptation of sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and, and each woman her own husband. And this translation makes it really clear what it's talking about because some translations in the next couple of verses kind of make it sound like, you know, you're doing your duties. He's, he's, there's nothing wrong, guys, with you washing the dishes or ladies, you doing the clothes to help take care of the husband. But that's not the duties he's talking about here, okay? Because it says the husband should give to his wife her congenial rights. And likewise, the wife to her husband for the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now before I deal with a couple of things that's said there, I want to go back to the background that we've already established in Genesis. First of all is this, God created anatomy. Do you realize that? Since God made us, God made us the way he made us intentionally. He made the man the way he made the man. He made the woman the way he made the woman. I I, I don't think God made Adam and Eve and put them in the garden together and then and then all of a sudden look down later and see them being intimate and think to himself, I, I didn't know they'd ever do that. Because God gave those desires himself. And, but those sexual desires can only be fulfilled in the right way without it being something that's ungodly in God's eyes. In Hebrews, it tells us this, let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and the adulterous. So God created this thing that the Bible even referred to as a sexual relationship. God created intimacy. 
There's not anything wrong with it. And yes, sometimes the church can come across pretty prudish acting or whatever as though there's something wrong with that relationship. But there's nothing at all wrong with that relationship as long as it is practiced between a husband and his wife. That marriage bed is undefiled. Anything outside that realm is defiled would be the implication from that scripture. And, And God... I think he created the anatomy and he created intimacy to be a special gift for a husband and a wife. It's it's about more than just procreation. If God only wanted human beings to be able to procreate, he could have made us like plants and we could pollinate. You know, I mean, dust flies off some of you guys anyway. When you don't take a good enough bath, if you've been working, you can walk by your wife, dust fly off on them and boom, there's a baby. But that's not the way God did it. And I'm, and I'm not trying to be improper at all this morning. I'm just trying to be honest with the Scriptures to where we understand uh, some things about intimacy and the fact that God created it and God designed it for a special gift between a, a husband and a wife. It can be a special, deep, magical gift that God's given them. It, it, it's about more than just procreation because if it were only about being able to expand the human race, and like I said, I'm not trying to be improper. I'm just trying to be honest. But God, God didn't have to make it feel good. You understand what I'm saying? The very God that designed us put nerve endings in places. He didn't have to do that if it's just about procreation. God did that for a man and, and, and a wife to be able to have a, a special, unique connection. That's a great gift, I think, that God gave. This to be practiced in the bonds of marriage. Now, and I haven't covered that background. I, I want to get back to what we were looking at in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 7. And... Uh, and since God created the anatomy, God created intimacy, how do we meet that need? The, the need of intimacy. What, what do we do to meet that need? Well, I think Paul, as he writes in, in verse 3 and 4, tells us that it, it needs to be reciprocal in its nature. And, and, and by that, it means you're, you're meeting each other's needs. He, he clearly said the husband should give her congenial rights and to his wife, and likewise a wife to her husband. She said, the moment you're married, your body doesn't belong to you any longer, but it belongs to your husband or it belongs to your wife. And there's a lot of really practical wisdom in what's said there. Like I said, the God that made us knows the desires that he's given us. He knows the way that he wired us. And not always will... Both people maybe be in the mood at the same time, if you get what I'm talking about. And yet, if you understand your spouse has that need, the Bible says God inspired Paul to write these words that you're to meet the need of your spouse. Maybe you had some other plans. Maybe you were focused on something else. And and yet he says that you're to meet those needs. Your body doesn't belong to you anymore. You're to meet the congenial needs of your spouse. So it's to be reciprocal in nature, to where, to where you are, are loving each other, being, being sure that you take care of the intimate needs of, of your spouse. But not only is it to be reciprocal in its nature, it's also to be regular, I think. 
of what the Bible says. Now, that may be shocking to you because of the way uh, the church regrettably, like I said, have kind of almost made it sound like there's something wrong with this relationship. There's something wrong with intimacy. There's something wrong with the sexual relationship. And instead of making it sound like it ought to be regular, some things that the church has said over through the years, you'd almost think, well, maybe it shouldn't happen at all unless maybe we're going to have kids. But the Bible says, do not deprive one another. And remember the context of what we just read, meeting the congenial needs of each other. So don't deprive each other. In other words, don't keep that back from your spouse, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Now, if you've been around here very long, we've done series on marriage before and relationships, and you've heard me deal with this text before, so it doesn't come as a surprise to you. But if you've not ever been around here very much, I dare say, because I kind of grew up in church, and to be honest with you, I never, ever, ever remember anyone ever preaching this text at all as I was growing up. But it's part of the Bible, and I'm thinking it's part of the Bible. It's something we need to talk about. He, he literally says, don't deprive the other person of their, of their sexual need, of their intimate needs. Unless you've done it by agreement. In other words, you've talked about it. It's not because you're mad at them. It's not because you're pushing their buttons. It's not because you're playing head games with, with them. You've actually talked about it. And the reason you've decided to kind of call things off or cool things down for a few days is for a spiritual reason so you can give yourselves to prayer. Maybe there's some huge decision you have to make. Do we want to have more kids? Uh, do, do we, by the way, there's a way that happens, uh, in case you didn't know that. Uh, do, do we need to change? jobs? Do we need to build a new house? You know, what church do we need to go to? What ministry do we need to be involved in at church? You know, maybe some spiritual decision and you're, and you're needing to pray about it. Then you've discussed it and you've said, all right, let, let's kind of, you know, call things off, cool things down a little bit for a few days because we need to focus on our spiritual life and we need to pray. But then even if it's for a spiritual reason, Paul says, come together again and he used the word limited time here in this translation, but in the original Greek, it, it's in the tense. That means come together again quickly. Why? Because Satan will tempt you because of your lack of self-control to find that sexual fulfillment outside of the bonds of marriage. That's what he's saying. So in other words, if it's acting like there's something wrong with it, the church in the realm of marriage, we ought to actually be encouraging couples to be intimate with each other because the Bible does. It ought to be regular. I walked by one of our members back there on the back wall while we were singing one of the last songs. I said, I made a mistake when we took the offering up. And he said, why? And I said, I should have waited to take the offering up today after I preached this part because the men would give a whole lot better today. But that's what the, what the Bible says. So it, it's really important in, in the marriage relationship to, to meet the needs of, of that intimacy because if, if you don't, it opens up the door for temptation to happen, for it to be fulfilled outside the realm of marriage and destroy a marriage. So if that didn't get me in enough trouble, let me talk about Lastly, the roles and goals that God has. The roles and goals. Found in Ephesians 5, verse uh, 22 through 24. 
I think he lists out some roles and some goals that we, we need to understand our roles and we need to understand there's some targets or some goals for us to, to focus on. Some goals to try and hit in, in the marriage relationship. First of all, the wives need to have a submissive love. A submissive love. The Bible says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now, let me warn you guys, before you get happy about me saying that, I'm going to unload in your lap in a few minutes. But this is in the Bible. It's not some legalistic, mean-spirited type thing. The word submit is not a derogatory term, just like the word helper I told you earlier wasn't a derogatory term. The word submit here is a military term that really talks about, a, in, in our way of thinking today, it would be a private under a corporal, corporal under a sergeant, da, 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 all the way up to a general. You see, if you're going to have a function in army, if everyone were to be the general, then who's going to go fight the battle? If everyone were to be a private, who's going to help give any direction and guidance and things like that? Do you, do you understand the order and function of that? And I'll be honest with you, ladies, I can't tell you why God made the man first. I can't tell you why God chose to do this. You can ask Jesus one day, and Jesus will have the full answer. I can't tell you. I just know this is what the Bible says. That you need to have a submissive love. In order to have terms of order and function, you kind of have to have a head sometimes. Now, you'll see in a minute that, that head, that husband, better be following Jesus. And that might seem like a high, tough order for, for the ladies to think about submitting to their own husbands because I've been a husband long enough to know over 38 years, there's probably been a lot of days that because of maybe the way I've acted that day or whatever, Becky might have been thinking in her mind, I don't want to submit to him today. But the way you see yourself through that is that you put his personality aside. And you understand that ultimately you're not submitting to him, you're submitting to Jesus. You're submitting to the Lord. And that gives you a, a, a mindset that you can have even in, in days that, that you don't think you want to submit to that husband because of the way he's been, the way he's acted, the, the way he's ignored you, or whatever the case is. Understand that ultimately you're submitting to Jesus. And that'll give you a way through it, no matter kind of what the circumstances are. It says, for the husband's the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body. And he is himself a savior. Now, as the church of Mr. Christ, so also wives should submit in everything to their husbands. Now, now, let me give that a better spin, a better way for you to look at it before you kind of get closed-minded about that. If you'll look at that in the right way, here's what Paul has just written. You as a wife have the opportunity to portray before this world what the church should look like toward Jesus. Does that not change the way you look at that? Wow, what a, what a great possibility that, that you as a wife in that submissive love toward your husband, you can portray to people around you, your family, friends, a lost world out there, what the church should look like in submitting toward Jesus. The husband, I told you a moment ago, I, guys, before you got happy about me talking about the, that submissiveness stuff, because I don't think it means that you sit back on your throne and you command orders out to your wife, you do this, you do that, I'm the king of this household. I don't think that's what it's talking about. 
Because the next thing we're going to look at here provides a huge balance in what I just said about you being submissive. Because the husband, while you're supposed to have a submissive love, the husband is to have a sacrificial love. Look what's said. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. How did Jesus love the church? Jesus loved the church enough to be nailed to the cross, sacrifice his life, shed his blood for our sins. Now, he says a whole lot more than that to the husband that we're going to look at here in just a moment. But I would submit to you that if that's all that it said, if it only said to the husband, love your wife like Christ loved the church, you just were given a much greater responsibility than the wife is to say, be submissive to your husband. And I think most of the ladies here would agree with this. If you knew without any doubt... Your husband loves you like Christ loved the church. It sure would balance things out and help you toward being submissive. If you knew your husband loved you that much. He goes on, he says, that, that he may sanctify her. Talking about Jesus sanctifying the church. Cleansing the church by the washing of water by the word, by God's word. So that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. You see, we as a church, we don't look like that yet. But he is working on us, changing us, molding us. But the way Jesus does that is, is not with a big stick and lightning bolts from heaven. It's not by being critical toward us. The, the motive that you and I ought to have to be molded into being who he wants us to be as Christians and as the church is his sacrificial love. That love should be the motivating factor in you and I changing to be what we need to be in our lives. And in a similar way, guys, you can love your wife in a way that changes things about her. And I promise you, it'll go a whole lot better than it will if you criticize her. If you'll have the approach of trying to love her to change things that maybe you think need to be changed. You also need to have a, a nourishing love. The husband needs to have a nourishing love for his wife. The Bible goes on there in Ephesians 5, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we're members of, of his body. See, we, we nourish our own bodies. We, we take care of our bodies. If we get wounded, guys, we'll put ointment on and bandages and, and things like that trying to heal. We, we nourish our, our, ourselves with the food that we take or the exercise that you do or whatever. But, but in order to stay healthy, you, you nourish yourself. And in order for your marriage to stay healthy, you need to understand that God's called you to, to nourish your wife, to, to love her. Like you love yourself. 
Matter of fact, he says, he who loves his wife loves himself. And why is that true? Because of that one flesh concept that I'll read about here again in just a moment that we've already looked at in Genesis. Because if you're brought together as one flesh, if you're loving her, she's part of you, you're really loving yourself. Husbands and wife both need to have a shared love, a shared love. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother. Remember seeing that earlier in Genesis? Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. That's, that's a pretty intimate shared relationship, one flesh. Gives the idea of one body. When, when I walk over here, guess what? All the rest of my body parts are following me, I hope. At 58, sometimes they don't feel like they are. I woke up one morning this week. I don't know. I, I mean, I didn't even have a crick or anything. My shoulder won't woke up, sat down at a computer to check emails and start to do some work. And then like in 10 minutes later, I can't hardly raise my arm. You know. And uh, uh, So we get these aches and these hurts. I took time trying to address that. You know, heat and pad, one, you know, one that kind of had a, a, a built-in massage going uh, and everything, just trying to loosen it up and, and get better, and it's better now, but I had to address it. We, we need to, we need to love our wives. It's like it's the same body. You're, you're really caring for yourself, as I said a moment ago. They need to be engaged and involved in your life. That's part of the illustration of me saying I walked over here and all my body parts were going. They, they need to be involved in your life. Don't take off living your life without them. But it closes by giving us, I, I call this section here, roles and goals. It, it, he closes out this whole section here saying some pretty significant stuff. Verse 32, he said, this mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ in the church. In other words, Paul is saying this. What I have just written about the husband and wife is really a picture of Jesus in the church. So if we will really let that bake into our minds and set that firm in our hearts, that ought to give us an extra determination, an extra goal to make our marriages work because Paul just said that this, all the stuff about the husband and the wife that he just wrote about, he's really talking about Jesus and the church. I told you ladies earlier by your submissive love, you've got an opportunity to show a lost world around you how the church ought to be submitting to Jesus. But we as a husband and wife, you as a married couple, you've got an amazing opportunity to display to a lost and dying world what the love of Jesus and the love of church for each other ought to look like. We, we've got a chance to display how we as the church should love Jesus and how Jesus loves the church. You and your marriage relationship, you've got an opportunity to show that as an example to the world. That sounds like a pretty high calling for marriage to me. And then in verse 33, he gives us the goals, some additional goals. 
However, let each one of you love his wife as himself. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. This probably doesn't come as any surprise to you, but God wired men and women a little bit differently. Is that shocking to you? You already figured that one out? And the very guy that we talked about earlier that is the one that created our anatomy... He, he knows how he made us. He knows how he wired us. And God closes off this section here about the husband and the wife in Ephesians by, by saying this. Men, here's your goal. Love your wife as yourself. Ladies, here's your goal. Respect your husband. Because you see, you, you ladies, and, and feel free to shake your head and agree with me, and that way your husband will know it and figure it out. You ladies have an inbuilt need in your heart to feel love, don't you? Huh? Bible's right, huh? Oh, wow, the Bible's right. You've got an inbuilt need in your life to feel loved. So, so guys, the, the goal that you ought to have is to be figuring out ways you can make her feel loved. You ought to go home today and start making out a list. What can I do this week to make my wife feel loved? And the flip side of it, ladies, is for you. He said, and wife, see to it that you respect her husband. Because the way God wired men is that they've got this inbuilt need to feel respected. And I think most men want to feel respected by their wives more than anyone else. You want to feel like your wife respects you. But he said that you're to do that for the other person. You're to offer it to them. You know what I see happen that hurts a lot of relationships? The other person is trying to manipulate their spouse to giving them what they feel like they need. And, and the wife is in need of love, but in order to get love, she's pushing buttons and she's manipulating and things like that to get what she perceives as love. But can I, can I stop you for a minute and say this? If you manipulate him into doing something to make you feel loved, what's the value of it? Because he only did it because you pushed his buttons. And on the, on the man's side of it, you know, you, you want to be respected and, you know, most men being men maybe could force a, a woman to respect her or whatever. But if, but if you also are manipulating behind the scenes or, or being rigid and, and, and hard and tough to deal with and you're kind of forcing her to respect you, can I also stop you and ask you this question? What's the value in it if you forced her to respect you? You only gain fulfillment out of it. If the love is offered, if the respect is offered, instead of being forced or manipulated. And if, guys, if you will have that as your goal, your target, to make your wife feel loved, and ladies, if you will, you'll understand your, your husband's got an inbuilt need to feel respected. And if you'll keep those two things as targets or goals to shoot at, it'll go a long way in helping your marriage be what it needs to be. Let's pray.
Father, God, we pray, first of all, for the marriage that's about to take place. Lord, we pray for Eddie and for Christine, and Lord, that you would just so bind their hearts and their lives with the principles of your word and, and, and strengthen the marriage through you and their relationship with you. That they can have a marriage that gives a picture of Jesus and the church. Father, I, I pray there for Justin and, and Mary that were married yesterday. Lord, I've got a I've got a wedding this Friday and a wedding next Sunday. Father, I pray that for those couples. But Father, I God, I also pray it for every couple that's here in this place. Help us to learn the implications from the beginnings of marriage that you give us in Genesis. Help us to understand that you've given intimacy to a husband and wife as a great gift to form a special bond and, and meet special needs that you've placed in our hearts in a godly way. Father, help us to understand the roles and, and the goals that you've given us in this relationship of marriage. Help us to have submissive love and sacrificial love. Help us to have marriages that glorify you, that point others to the great union between you and your church. Father, if there's someone in this place this morning that's never said yes to Jesus, help them understand right now that they can be part of the bride of Christ, that right now, in a special way, they can become part of your bride. They can marry Jesus by admitting to you that they're a sinner and they can't save themselves. And by trusting completely and totally in the finished work of Jesus on the cross as their only means of forgiveness and salvation. Lord, I understand there may be those here that are heartbroken because because of injuries in marriage. Father, I pray you minister to their hearts. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for second chances. God, help us to glorify you in our relationships and our marriages. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon audio production from Day 3 Church. We pray that it has ministered to you. For more information about our location, service times, or other sermon podcasts, please visit us online at day3church.org. Day 3 Church, experience a new day in your life.